Welcome to the Canny Conversations podcast, Conversations with a Cause with social entrepreneur Safraz Ali. He coined a phrase that describes what he does as the mad entrepreneur. That's make a difference entrepreneurship. As well as being the author of the Canny Bites books, Saf's business interests cover health and social care, business and corporate events, as well as him being the CEO of Pathway Group, a welfare to work and skills provider. In each episode, we have a special guest joining Saf in discussion with journalist and broadcaster Adrian Kibler. This week, Saf talks to Ninda Johal about the business landscape in the West Midlands and about their mutual passion for Birmingham and the Black Country. So let's join the conversation. Hello and welcome to another Canny Conversation with a Cause, our business podcast that we hope will captivate your curiosity cannily. Um, with me today, uh, as always, Safraz Ali. Hello, Saf. Hi, Adrian. How are you doing? Well, I'm very well, thank you. And we've also got a very special guest. We've got uh, Ninda Johal. And Ninda is a deputy Lord Lieutenant of the West Midlands. He's a business leader, a, a great champion of this part of the world. Started his business life in music and has moved on to all sorts of other things, including uh, the Signature Awards, um, major events in Birmingham and other parts of the country as well. And most recently, uh, he went into uh, magazines and now publishes a business magazine called The Business Influencer. And The Influencer is a super magazine that uh, enables people from all sorts of backgrounds with great stories to tell to inspire the rest of us. So uh, it's great to have Ninda with us. Uh, so let's move on to uh, start uh, our, our discussion. Ninda, lovely to see you. We have listeners all over the country and we have listeners um, in different parts of the world. Yep. Good. So there may just be somebody in some far-flung corner of the globe that doesn't know who you are. So can you just give us a bit of an introduction and tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, yep. So I, um, I spent uh, 15 years trying to realise a dream because I enjoy music. Um, and so I, uh, I tried to sell something called Bhangra music. So for those who don't know, that's a fusion between uh, Western music, Western beats and Eastern melodies. Uh, it was tough going, tough going because trying to sell music that nobody understands. Uh, but 12 years later, the, the journey uh, was realized because we then entered the UK charts at number five. We had a number seven in the US with uh, Jay-Z. Uh, we had nine number ones. And at the last count, we'd sold 11 million records. So that's, that was sort of my sort of fame, if that if that's what you want to use. And, and of course, in life, you've got to know when to move on to the next adventure, the next challenge. So I, uh, taken the skill set I developed running a record company and music, uh, moved into event production. And from event production, uh, some of the brands you've talked about, Signature Awards and the Natural Entrepreneurship Awards and the Natural Summer Business Bowl Awards. And they were put together. And they were put together with three things in mind, really. One was to celebrate... British business, because we often forget to do that. Uh, secondly, uh, to provide a forum for networking, so when people come together, they can learn from their peers. And, and thirdly, always have, if we possibly can, a, a really high-profile public speaker, an entrepreneur, someone's achieved in life, so that we can all then learn from him or her. So really, it's an environment where learning happens, where hopefully people lead to innovation, creating new ideas, new businesses, and above all, creating wealth and employment. And finally, sorry, during COVID, we launched the Business Influencer magazine. 
And that, again, was part of the learning process. Hopefully people will learn from reading it. And that's me in a nutshell. Safi, and you've written in the Business Influencer, as have other leading business people. Okay, Saf, how long have you known this chap? And tell us a little bit about the, the, your background with, with Ninda and why you've asked him to come on the, the podcast today. Okay. In terms of time-wise, I mean, we got to know each other in 2015. Correct. And, uh, Correct. Uh, and at the time, uh, Ninda was quite regularly coming on my, upon my uh, social media profile in terms of some of the activities that Ninda was doing, particularly with regard to the black country level activities. And uh, we were running our networking events and I was looking for inspirational speakers that that could come in, talk to our business owners, uh, talk to the people in the room and do something different. And I was always constantly looking for uh, people that were not necessarily in that in our marketplace. So for about six to seven months, uh, Ninda was on my radar, particularly as a speaker. And, uh, and we reached out, Ninda, to come over to Birmingham. We're in the industrial area of Tysley. This is what we do. We, have, we run a, a quirky event called Coffee and Natter. It's in the afternoon. It's on a Wednesday afternoon. And would you mind coming over and speaking and sharing your journey? It took us a little while. We, we eventually managed to get there, but it was a, a sort of a unique moment, I would say. It's a very memorable moment. I won't forget it. I mean, Ninda, you know, obviously prepares uh, for, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, every single presentation that he does. There's a lot of work that goes in. And, you know, he came in with a, a video. He came in with, obviously, uh, his, his own unique style of, of speaking, wowed the audience, we we were all sort of wired himself and Ninda hopefully was impressed by the audience and the people mm. in the room as well. And from there, we just hit it off in terms of like-mindedness and, yeah. and, and the work that we were looking to do and the work that Ninda was looking to do again with his awards and his uh, media uh, ecosystem that Ninda was building at the time. For those of us, that, for those listeners that don't come from the the English Midlands, there was reference, I think, Ninda made to the, the black, black country. country yes. The black country, or would it say? Um, just for those that don't know, the black country is part of the Midlands that includes people have heard of them, towns like Wolverhampton, Dudley, Oldbury, Tipton, very traditional manufacturing yep. places. And this brings us in a nice little lead into our conversation, which is about the, the economic situation, particularly in our part of the world and the way in which our region, the uh, English Midlands, has had to transition from... Um, a traditional heavy engineering to, to something different. Ninda, you've, uh, you're a young man, but you've got enough time under your belt to have seen some of those changes. What stands out for you? I think resilience. I think resilience stands out. Uh, I think um, in an ever-changing world uh, where disruptions come from every direction, whether it's political or non-political, uh, what business in the black country and, and beyond has shown is resilience and ability to innovate uh, to transition, to bring new products. Um, we're now talking about 5G, how to adopt 5G within your business and how to innovate using that, how to increase your supply chains. And and, and I think the challenge is now on. We're into, particularly the black countries, more led by aerospace and automotive, so deep supply chains, and how they now cope with electrification in terms of cars and batteries and supply chain. So that's the next challenge. But you could argue that was the challenge when they decided the railways were built and people said, well, what, well, why do we need a railway? We're, we're fine with horses and carts. So, you know, there's always resistance, but I think the human endeavour 
the resilience, the the fact that entrepreneurs always produce new products, new services. Nobody else does it, by the way. Entrepreneurs do it. And they say to the world, we, we think you need this uh, this product. So I think, look, as long as we have entrepreneurs who are ready to take that calculated gamble, can see a vision that other people can't and have to drive to forge ahead, uh, we will always survive. This country will always survive. And the black country is an epitome of that. It's gone through so many transitions and it'll always do well. And I think the challenge now is how do you cope with uncertainty, both technological and non? And how do you now skill up? And this is obviously a relevant subject for Safis. How do you now upskill both existing workforce, but more interestingly, how do you forecast what the future workforce looks like? And that's a challenge, not just for the black country, that's a challenge, and not just for the West Midlands, that's a challenge for the entire UK. And by the way, it's a challenge for the globe. Mm. We're, we're not alone. You, you said something really interesting. Well, you said a lot of things that are interesting, but you talked about vision and being able to look, you know, over the horizon. And uh, Henry Ford, who sort of brought the motor car to the masses in the United States, he once said some people would have wanted, when, they, when we were looking at, at, at new means of transport, some people would have thought the solution was to find a faster horse. So it is about recognising change. Now, Safras, your family came to Birmingham in the, in the 1960s, I think it was, um, and, um, and your father, you know, initially worked in, or worked for a long time in heavy industry. You yourself um, trained in financial services. Uh, you've set up businesses in domiciliary care and also, you know, uh, heavily involved in training. Saf, you know, give me your perspective on the way you've seen things change and also on the way in which the sort of work that you do, particularly with training and apprentices, can prepare us for whatever the future might hold. Uh, yeah. So in terms of my father, yes, he came to uh, to Birmingham to work, uh, to earn a living, and his plans, like most immigrants at the time, was to to make enough to go back home and carry on there. But that didn't happen, and they settled. And uh, not only did uh, my father settle, but he also called a uh, family you know, so extended family. So yeah, he's uh, his sort of cousins, uh, my mom, uh, and so forth. And then obviously we were born here, and this has become our home. And ever since, so my children are here, and this is our home now. And 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 we don't think anything other than, other than that. You know, my father was a labourer originally uh, for IMI. Uh, uh, working in a titanium factory in Holford, uh, which is in Woodton, uh, not far from Aston Villa Football Club, for those that, are, that, that know where that is. And uh, that whole area uh, is now completely different. It, it was large manufacturing base. It's now a slightly more high-tech manufacturing base where you don't need to have big plants. It's smaller industrial units and it's part of supply chain to possibly other sort of technology type or manufacturing type type companies. My background in terms of education, I you know, didn't do extremely well. I didn't do well in, in school. That was a massive shock for me. And from there, I sort of tried to recover back. And, and I thought, you know, I had a choice of either working at IMI or pursuing college, and which is what I did, and then went into the whole sort of university, first in my family, uh, to go into university and then, you know, went into the financial services field. And really from there, you know, fa fairly later on in life, I started thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur. But it wasn't something that I was thinking about in terms of, you know, when I was a, 
uh, college or university in terms of starting a business or going into business. It was more about education and education was drummed into us from uh, family and from from a father in terms of education is that thing, not necessarily business or entrepreneurship. And it's only because I felt unfulfilled in terms of my work that I started looking at, you know, other other things. And this is where I, I fell into the whole social entrepreneurship, went into this sort of educational market, work, started working with some of the colleges, local colleges. And that's where my sort of experience comes in. But yes, in terms of transformational, uh, there's no doubt, you know, even in terms of, you know, I don't have to go back 40 years uh, or 50 years to say, you know, this is the change. That change is happening quite regularly, even now in the in terms of the the lockdown, the the whole sort of COVID period that we, we we've had. That change has happened in terms of jobs. Um, there's vacancy after vacancy that's unfulfilled. Uh, people are now saying they can't get the staff where previously when they said they can't get the staff, it was bad mindset. When a business owner or a, or a leader or a manager said, "I can't get the staff." They weren't actually talking about people or bodies. They were talking about, you know, I can't get the right staff in terms of mindset. Now you can't physically get the staff. There's a shortage, not just in terms of the field that we're in, uh, health and social care, education, but across the board in terms of retail and some of the things that we rely on on a day-to-day basis, let alone skill shortages at a higher level in terms of the manufacturing skills and so forth. So there is a lot of pressure there. I think... Nindy, I'm not sure about how much Saf's story about how much it does a parallel with yours. But the the thing that Saf has talked about uh, and you've talked about is if we're going to to move forward and to change, we have to have people who've got the right skills to do that. Uh, how, how well do we do in terms of skills in this region? I think, and I've got to be choose my words carefully here, I, I think the education system hasn't been able to move with the times. The legal system hasn't been able to move with the times. They can't cope with social media and everything that's come with it. I think with every generation, they learn in a different way. And I, I think those the old model of three-hour lessons, I think, are gone. But schools don't believe that. I think people learn by doing, um, but schools don't believe in that. Mm. I remember I did um, uh, a short stint in education and I couldn't persuade the business department to let me take 20 students to a local Tesco's. Because I said to them, if they walk into a local Tesco's, in that one hour, they'll learn a lot about marketing. Don't rely on just them reading a book. I I couldn't get them to understand that. I think we don't get employers, and and I'm not going to attach blame to employers or education. We don't have enough engagement between employers and education to understand what employers want. And maybe employers don't articulate well enough to what they think they want. There's a definite mismatch between supply and demand. I think that's been accentuated by what Saf has just said because we're through, through the coronavirus. I think quarter million, 400,000 of people have left the workplace. They've gone. They're not to be seen. They've either retired or they're going doing something else. Mm-hmm. So there's a squeeze. There's a squeeze on labour supply. Um, so we no longer have the luxury of being able to try and find these people. It is difficult. Uh, Brexit means mobility of labour is not what it used to be. Now, that may be a name of the government, which is to skill our UK force because we were too busy relying on abroad. But then 
that doesn't happen overnight. Mm. That will take five, six years. We've got a structural problem there. How do we get the right labour force? You know, all the doctors, medical people are coming from abroad. What's been going wrong wrong there? So, you know, look, somebody in the education department needs to have a real look at this. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sorry, I'm pointing the finger at education, particularly at the earlier levels. And then, of course, when kids are coming through 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, uh, rather than saying to them, you know, you could be a YouTuber mm. or go and do something that you think is easy, actually, this is where you should be focusing on. And my final comment, there used to be something called careers officers, mm. careers advisors in schools. They're no longer around. So there's a vacuum in which people, when they leave school, not quite sure where they want to go. And listen, I've just started, so I'm not going to be going, but there's lots of problems there. And, and unless you resolve the skills problem, uh, this country and this, uh, this economy is going nowhere. And I'll say it again, this is not just here. Taking that forward, we've talked about apprenticeships in the past, but we hear an awful lot about, you know, the government's commitment to apprenticeships and how important the government believes it is. But is that another example of um, fine words and good intentions, but... Uh, not the real um, support that, that is needed. And the two of you, I'd like you to share your thoughts on, I think, I don't want to, in, I don't want to mislead anybody, so I'll ask you the question directly, Linda. Brexit bad for Britain? Um, okay, so first of all, government, fine words and good intentions on apprenticeships, but, but not enough delivery, yes or no? I think apprenticeship numbers have no doubt fallen over the period of the COVID and uh, coronavirus. That's understandable, I think. Uh, you know, we had a target, the government had a target in terms of we, they wanted to reach to 3 million apprentices was a big figure that they were uh, they were working towards. That was for the year 2020. There is no target at this point in time in terms of what they're looking to reach. What's actually happened is that the universities particularly have uh, have looked at the opportunity of looking at degree apprenticeships because of the funding uh, funding that's around, and some of the apprenticeships that are out there are now more at the higher end, level six, level seven, and some of them are MBA type courses that have been rebadged as apprenticeships. So if you look at the stats, you've got to really dissect the numbers. So there has been more apprentices in some some aspects of it, but it's at the degree level apprenticeships and the higher level qualifications. And most of them are from the higher education institutions going to uh, business owners who are levy payers. So a levy paying company is any, any company out there that has more than a three million pound payroll. So it's not likely to be smaller it's, well, it can be a SME company, but they're paying a form of tax. And that tax is either you use it or you lose it. And what they're doing is looking at how they, how can we utilize that. And in some cases, and not in every single case, but in some cases, the individuals, that, the leaders of the organizations are using the opportunity to do higher level courses. So the u- universities are have gone into the market in a big way, uh, particularly at that sort of level. Um, you know, the Ofsted have realised that and now where universities weren't in the Ofsted regime in terms of uh, Ofsted wasn't, it wasn't looking at universities, now they've started to do so. So in terms of uh, the apprenticeship market, most of it in terms of opportunities are, are either with employer providers or independent training providers. So the colleges are, have got a small stake in this. They're focusing predominantly in terms of uh, either the A-level courses or the vocational qualifications and they have less and less employer engagement and they've realised that and, they've, and, and they're, even though they're aware of it, they're finding it harder to do and to 
sustain. So the market is thriving in terms of in the independent providers and employer providers actually doing their own schemes. But the number as a whole is less. But in terms of certain areas, the numbers have, have, have risen. So that's the picture in terms of apprenticeships. It's not just about, there used to be a sort of a perception or or misunderstanding of what apprenticeships are. People used to think blue-collar jobs, used to think young people, and that no longer is the case, I think. But what, what you're finding is now, it's a, still a misunderstanding in in some some cases, but I think people are aware of what, you know, I think what apprenticeships are, but it's just really trying to fit the apprenticeship in to what the employers need and what's right and what's fit for purpose. Nindy, you're sitting there nodding your head there. Were there any particular points that staff made that you would like to sort of elaborate on? And, and, and coming back to the point I made earlier on and taking up the the issue you raised, Brexit, bad for Britain and the West Midlands? Okay, but just picking up a couple of things uh, the staff said, uh, I think one of the things was, I think it was very laudable, was the Blair instruction, not instruction, uh, he wanted everyone to get a degree. So 50% of the population, I think, was a target, and he mm-hmm. got that. And, and I think while his intentions were great, I think what it did was it, it it sort of persuaded people, actually, that's the route. And now we've been trying to backtrack and say to people, well, actually, that may not be necessarily the same route. I think making polytechnics then become universities also clouded it because everybody who knew they wanted a vocational knew where to go. And so suddenly everything's a university. So vocational lost a bit of the, I think the sort of sort of the focus it had. Mm. Um, so I think those were political decisions, and I think now trying to reverse back and to remind people what apprenticeships were. You know, you ask people in their sixties, they'll tell you an apprenticeship was a, a rigorous set of years of experience that really set you up, and they were rigorous. You know, you, you can't now you can do an apprenticeship in a year, and people argue, well, hold on, are you sure you can learn enough in a year? You've not got apprenticeships and I don't want to again demean this, for business administration, no. I'm not sure in the old days that would have been a proper apprenticeship. So I think it's a bit murky, it's a bit uh, it's a bit blurred, and there's, you know, people sort of move into different areas, and I think it's not as clear-cut as it used to be, and now we're having to spend a lot of time rebadging, rebranding, remarketing what apprenticeship means. Now, in terms of in terms of Brexit, look, it's too early. It's too early to know whether it's good or bad. Um, we've had chaos for the last couple of years with COVID. Any problems we can see, we're not able to actually disentangle and say what's down to COVID supply chains, down to Brexit. What we do know, just as they were trying to put staff in to try and get this Brexit thing over the road, COVID happened, everybody's working from home. So staff haven't been quite there to guide businesses along. We know they're trying to do something with India. We know the US out of the back of the queue, Australia, Japan. It's very difficult. And I think truly, I think it'll take six, seven, eight years before we really know whether Brexit was good or bad for us. And at the moment, anything you say negative or positive will be dressed up as well. Let's get past COVID first. And and, and let's face it, not only the politicians, but the entire world was diverted into coping with the biggest crisis, economic and health crisis we've ever had. And Brexit, uh, you know, went to the back of the burner. I think once we now emerge out of this uh, horrendous 24 months, I think it'll start to take shape. Now, there are going to be problems, but there are also opportunities. It's the first time, you know, potentially we can dictate how we want to do trade. It'll be interesting how the rest of the world works in terms of tariffs. Uh, We've still got an issue with the Northern Ireland Protocol. That's not been resolved. 
And I think until we get out, get past this party gate problem, once we get this leadership thing all sorted, I think only then truly can we look at Brexit, and only then can we truly address the question you've just asked: Is it good or bad? It's just, uh, it's just uh, difficult. Yeah, a lot of good points there. Just, just for the benefit of our listeners, because podcasts stay out there for for, for, for forever. Some of our listeners are not in the UK. Ninda was, in his very illuminating comments, was referring to some of the things going on specifically in the UK at the time that we're doing this recording, which is the early part of uh, 2022, Brexit being the decision to leave the European Union, Partygate being um, some troubles that our Prime Minister has found himself into, and obviously, you know, hopefully coming towards the end of the COVID. But we can't be sure of that. Safrad, you uh, came to Birmingham. Uh, I guess you're a proud Brummie. You've supported a lot of um, initiatives in this city, um, very heavily engaged in the community. But the West Midlands doesn't really cut it, does it, as far as the rest of the world is concerned? You speak to somebody in China or in Africa and mention London and they'll know where London is, mention Manchester and they'll think of the football clubs, mention Liverpool and they'll think of the football clubs and the music. Birmingham is a sort of, it's it's somewhere, isn't it, between London and, and Manchester. So it's something I know Ninda is, is working to do, and I know you probably have views on it, but but the West Midlands and Birmingham doesn't really cut it. It's the second city in name only, isn't it? Well, there's a few, there's a few things there. I mean, uh, from, from my perspective, I, I think whenever I've had conversations with people, they recognise it, they know it. Uh, London, they sometimes get confused because they think London is the UK as a whole. So outside the UK, people call London uh, the UK as opposed to London, the you know the city that we know. And then the individual areas, so uh, are, are, are you know some some are well known more than others. But it depends on who your market is. If you're talking to an average person on the streets, yeah, that might be yes. We're not we're not in New York. We're not in New Delhi or in, in that in that marketplace. But it's about who you're trying to talk to, which types of businesses. You know, for example, you know we've got international businesses that are located in in the Birmingham area, in the in the West Midlands area. We've got people that that are moving into the UK. I've, you know, I've got uh, you know if you work, if you take a, a stroll down to uh, certain parts of Birmingham where there's the you know the universities are Selly Oak and Edgebaster and so forth, you can see a lot of the international students there. You know, we attract a lot of international students. We attract businesses that are here. You know, I've met a number of businesses, a number of people who've actually taken uh, a visa to set up a business in Birmingham in the West Midlands. So people, when they start looking at the numbers, they start looking at researching, you know, we come at the top of the list, uh, or very near the top of the list. But yeah, if you're talking about perception out there, if you ask people about Birmingham, you know, they might they may know, they may not know. But it really is about who your market is, who you're talking to, and you know what reference it is. Um, you know, as I said, in my in my eyes, whenever I've spoken to people, particularly in terms of when I'm in Pakistan, Kashmir, or or anywhere else, they know it very well because of the community that are here, because of the Balti Belt, because of the certain uh, certain activities that we do, and it's very well known. Ninda, sorry, can, can, can I just... Yes. Uh, yeah, of course you can, but, but yeah, yeah. I want you to address that issue as well. Birmingham is the second city in name only, is it? A couple of things. I think Saf was very articulate in what he said. I, I think if you ask particularly around manufacturing, yeah. they know where Birmingham is, I, I can tell you. Mm. And, and look, 
a capital city is a capital city. Yeah. London is London. And, you know, all around the world, you all generally know the capital city. So, listen, we're not going to stand here and try and compete with a capital city. That's, that's, that's who it is. It's GDP is greater than the rest of the country put together. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I, I had the good fortune of interviewing uh, Joe Foster from Reebok. And, and when he said to somebody, I'm from the UK, they said, oh, you mean you're from London? So you're absolutely yeah. right. And listen, we got some world-class businesses in Birmingham, Gymshocks mm. just down the road, yeah. and that's a world-class business. And I think you've just said it, we've got mm. some great universities. A lot of people come to UK education and Birmingham, Aston University. And, and look, I've, I've had the good fortune to now do events in mm. East Midlands and in London. So I, I've got a good idea of the pulse. Yeah. And I can tell you, for them... Birmingham is the place to head to. The West Midlands is the place to head to. Prior to COVID, we were one of the fastest growing areas in the country. And of course, with aviation, aerospace, we've taken a bit of a battering. Just like everybody else, we've taken a bit of a battering. But let's not forget the West Midlands is the testbed for 5G. Why is that important? Well, we've been talking about technology, the importance of technology, the importance of being nimble, agile, and to compete in a global marketplace. And technology is at the forefront. And guess what? This region is at the forefront of it. And, you know, industries will change because of technology. Mobility will change. Transport will change. The national health will change. Life science is one of our key areas in Birmingham. We're at the forefront of that. So I tell you, this is the place to come. And once with people flying again, you'll see we have one of the biggest um, exhibition stroke event companies, the NEC, the ICC. I mean, it's just at our doorstep. Uh, listen, I'll, I'll, you've got me started now, but there's, there's so much to shout about, so much to shout about. And, and by the way, we're not competing with London. We're not competing with Manchester. We're competing with the rest of the world. Mm. It's British, UK, PLC. I have no intention. As long as Manchester, London, and we can do well, then we all do well. And don't get me started on levelling up, because that's what it's all about. Shaf, go on, what do you think? You I agree? mean, we've got, we've got HS2, so... Uh, yeah, HS2, also, Commonwealth also Games. Commonwealth Games coming on this, this particular year. Brand uh, Birmingham, you know, yep. it, it is, you know, you know, Birmingham is well known for what it is. And I've come across many people who've left the greater London area and moved to, to Birmingham for lifestyle, for the options, for the jobs. Uh, you know, HSBC, which which we know. PwC. Uh, yeah, all of these organisations are moving away. And it's, it's, not, it's not knocking London down or or anything else but the opportunities are here we tend to knock ourselves uh, and people outside are are recognizing us for what the opportunities are and, and i think we can be a little bit harder on, on ourselves unnecessarily really yeah and perhaps that's my job i mean i'm not knocking i'm a brummy i'm not not i'm not knocking birmingham at all but I, i'm just i think sometimes it you know it, it's useful to acknowledge a, a truth so in the closing minutes I'm giving you all a magic wand, or all of you, the two of you a magic wand, and I'm saying to you, you can do one thing to raise the profile of Birmingham. Uh, what would it be? And I'll tell you what mine would be. It wouldn't be HSBC coming to Birmingham. It wouldn't be Morgan Stanley coming to Birmingham. It would be to get British Airways to fly from Birmingham because if Birmingham was on the British Airways global timetable as a destination, that would sell so much to the world about the city. The second city doesn't even have a national carrier flying from it. So that's what I would do. I'd try and get British Airways to fly from Birmingham. Seth and Ninda, I'm giving you a magic wand. One thing you could do to, to raise the profile of Birmingham, what would it be? I think the entire globe will be watching Birmingham in the summer because we have got the Commonwealth Games here. You have the globe watching us. It'll be the first big event since COVID. 
And I think the question is, how do we make use of that? How do we make use of the world's attention? And how do we set a legacy in place so that Birmingham, the black country and the surrounding areas benefit for generations to come? I can't think of a better marketing tool from a global perspective than Commonwealth Games. And if we can make use of that, inward investment starts to come in, we get the right people in place. And I'll tell you where we're also fortunate. If you compare other areas, we have a very politically aligned administration. We have a, we have a combined authority. Uh, we have all the, we have the mayor and the uh, local leaders working in tandem. But honestly, to answer your question, Brand Birmingham, Commonwealth Games 2022, you know, you couldn't make it up. It's the perfect opportunity to plant Birmingham on the world landscape. So, do you think the Commonwealth Games is a, no, no pun intended, a game changer? Uh, and is there anything else that you would do if you had the opportunity to make this city that we all three of us know and love um, better known? Uh, yeah, just firstly, in terms of what you've said about the airport, I think our Birmingham airport is uh, very underutilised in terms of uh, where it is and, and how it's fitted in and who flies from it. Uh, there's no doubt, you know, if we flew directly to some of the other areas, uh, you know, that automatically raises the status. I think we've got the right infrastructure there. It's just a matter of how, to, how that works. And that, those conversations have been going on for decades. But yeah, I think that would definitely uh, enhance uh, the opportunities. It does the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, it's a massive win. We've we've been talking about it for three or four years now, and you know, all eyes are on us. And we should be very proud in terms of the opportunities here. Uh, and there's no doubt the fact that there's going to be legacy with regard to you know what, you know what he leaves, and hopefully it's going to be uh, benefit for for all of us going forward. Uh, one of the things that I will say is that, you know, when we talk about certain areas, like, for example, I think about Silicon Valley, you think about Silicon Roundabout, you know, we've got an area in Birmingham which focuses on digital qualifications or d- digital uh, startups, digital companies, uh, a Silicon Hub. And that area in terms of technology week and technology sort of push um, is still at its infancy. And, you know, we could have the infrastructure, we've got the people, here and you know we can be a really well-known area for technology startups we've already got fantastic opportunities in terms of media you know we've done fantastic media production uh, production here so whole technology media arm you know really excites me and you know we know the fact that media technology is international it's a global, a global thing and it really puts you on a map and, and you start punching above your weight in terms of the influence that you can have, particularly with regard to technology. The wonderful and inspiring thing for me in the last half an hour is two gentlemen uh, from a South Asian heritage demonstrating their passion for Birmingham and the West Midlands. Um, Saf, you've known Ninda for a number of years, as we know. He's a wonderful champion, isn't he, of our region? And, uh, you know, and I know you were so pleased to get him on, on the podcast. You've done a lot of things with him in the past, but inspirational. Ninder, I regard as a guru, uh, you know, you know, as a teacher, I learn from him. We brand these things around in terms of mentors and so forth very easily. And I observe, you know, what Ninder does. I look at, you know, you know, some of the decisions he's made and the the courage that he has. And, and, and from my perspective, you know, for anybody to launch a magazine 
in the period that we're in where you, know, you would say, if you were on a business course and you said, you know, we're going to launch a magazine, a printed magazine, and we're going to produce a high quality outlet, you know, you would think you're, you're crazy. And, and that takes courage. Not everybody can do that. And it takes, you know, you need to be brave. There's a certain level of person that could do that. And from my perspective, and from my personal personal view, Ninder is Ninder. Is Ninder and, and this is the reason why I associate myself very closely in terms of uh, you know, Ninder's activities. I fully support in terms of what uh, in, in Ninder is doing, you know, connecting people and really uh, leveling up and raising uh, the businesses and, and just all round fantastic person. That's very um, kind of you to say yeah, so. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, really a, a guru, yeah. Ninda. You are a guru. I bet in your life you have been called worse things than that. So I've been called a lot of worse things. But the word is well chosen. And what a lovely high note on which to curtail this canny conversation with a cause. So much wisdom, so much knowledge, and so much passion, which is great. If you've liked what you've heard, we'd love you to reflect that. If you want to listen to more, we'd love you to subscribe and uh, we look forward to next time so until then take care bye-bye thanks for listening to this canny conversation with the cause these conversations are based upon the canny bites books by safras ali available on amazon to find out more go online and visit saf's website pathwaygroup.co.uk or join him on social media He can be contacted at safras at pathwaygroup.co.uk. Canny Conversations with the Cause are produced by Pathway Group, who have a mission to change lives through skills and work. And they do this through upskilling and reskilling individuals by getting them firstly into sustainable employment and tackling the talent and skills issues commonly faced by businesses. In addition to their core skills and employability business, Pathway Group also actively promote diversity, equality and inclusion and have initiated causes such as the BAME Apprentice Network, the BAME Apprenticeship Awards and the Festival of Apprenticeships. This is a 1386 audio production. 